Good morning. You know, before we get into uh, the sermon, I just wanted to share some things, uh, just sort of family conversation here. You know, Vineyard Church of Delaware County, from the very onset, you know, 13 years ago, has always been incredibly uh, blessed by the Lord financially. I mean, right from the beginning, God has supplied our needs and, and we've tried to be a generous church and it seems the more generous we are, uh, we just haven't been able to outgive God's generosity towards us. And, and certainly I'm, I'm grateful for God's uh, grace to us financially uh, and one would think that as a pastor in a church, you pastor would be just absolutely thrilled that there's not been those seasons where you're just so stressed and strained about finances, but actually there's a, a downside to being uh, a blessed financially, uh, uh, financially blessed church, and the downside is this, and it's been something that God has been speaking to me about a lot over the last number of months, the downside is that it's very easy in that particular area to begin to put our confidence not in the Lord and his provision and seeing ourselves truly as, as dependent on him for supply, but we, we can easily end up becoming sort of confident and taking solace in our, our, our bank statements, you know, feeling comfortable that, oh, Lord, we got this taken care of. I don't really have to, to, to lean on you because we, we have a good stability in that area. Uh, and what's been interesting is not only the Lord's been speaking to me about that, but over the last few months, we've noticed that our giving this year actually is a little bit down. Not much, but a little bit down over our first quarter giving last year. And, and I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think oftentimes, and I talk about this from time to time when uh, I discuss issues of personal uh, stewardship and, and tithing and things like that, that that I think God wants us to continually be in a position of dependency on him. God wants us not to put our, our confidence in ourselves, our confidence in things that we can see, but put our confidence in who he is and that he's, he's faithful to us. And, and so here we, we I, I believe God is saying, listen, Danny, you should not, you cannot put your hope and find your peace in your bottom line because that bottom line can come and it can, it can go. You need to continually put yourself in situations to put your put your hope and put your and find your peace in me. So recognizing where things are at this this first quarter, you know, we could respond in in, in two or three ways. We can go ahead and begin to take two offerings at every service. So usher, no, we're not going to do that. We could just say we're going to tighten our belts and we're going to, you know, really watch, watch out for, for how we're spending our money even more. And we're already trying to be very frugal. But uh, again, we would be looking at what we can do and our ability to find, uh, find that peace financially. And, and I, I, I think that's, that's okay to be frugal and wise and, and a good steward. But I believe God is wanting us and bringing us into a position uh, as, as a, he's doing it with me as a pastor. And I think he's doing it for us as a church to say, Jesus, our hope is within you. So rather than, than beating the sheep and, you know, we're going to get more money out of you, rather than saying we're going to go on some austerity, which isn't really necessary, uh, but because we, we do have savings, I don't think that's where we want to put our confidence. I, I believe we need to look at this as an opportunity to say, Jesus, our trust is in you. And we want to, like Michael taught last week, we want to walk by, by faith in you, dependency on you, and not by sight, not by our, our confidence in ourselves. So I propose to our pastors and our staff and our advisory board and our financial advisory board this week that we, we see this as an opportunity to say, Jesus, our trust is in you. And, and rather than looking for what we can do, because I believe we're, we're being faithful, but rather than looking at what we can do, we're going to just go ahead and, and 
put ourselves in, in a greater place of dependency. And th this, this month, the month of May, there are five weekends, five Sundays. So what I suggested and got unanimous approval and, and appreciation for is that we're going to go ahead and take one-fifth, 20% of all of our tithes this month and offering, and we're going to give it away. You know, and say, Jesus, we are going to place ourselves in a position of, of trust and dependency. You know, as you know, undoubtedly, you've heard about the earthquake in Nepal. Uh, they're expecting some hundred thousand, not hundred thousand, some ten thousand lives to have been lost through that earthquake. It continues to rise. Hundreds of thousands, literally hundreds of thousands of, of individuals have lost their homes. Whole villages and towns have been utterly leveled and flattened. I was in touch with, with an individual who, who was part of the Vineyard Missions, and he's over, actually, in that area, and he was talking. We, we, and not only do we have a church, we have four churches in and around Kathmandu. All four of those Vineyard churches were totally destroyed. The buildings were totally destroyed. And for the most part, every individual in those churches lost their homes. So what I am going to be doing is telling our executive pastor, Bill Carpenter, this Tuesday to go ahead and write a check for $30,000, which is actually a little bit more than our normal 20% uh, or, or one-fifth. But we're going to just write a check, send it over uh, to the Vineyard Earthquake uh, uh, Relief Fund, so that not only can those churches in Kathmandu take care of their own needs, as our brothers and sisters, we want to care for them, but also so that they can begin to reach out and meet some of the needs and, and provide some help for the other uh, individuals in, in their communities. So by doing this again, what it is, and the, the spiritual principle beyond the the, the financial help that we're going to be providing our brothers and sisters in Nepal, the spiritual principle is that we want to be a people in all areas, but we want to be a people who don't put our confidence in what we're able to accomplish, what we're able to maneuver, what we're able to manipulate. We don't want to put our confidence in what we can see and what we can rationalize and what we can figure out, but we want to say, Jesus, our trust is in you. You are the one that from the very beginning has provided for this church generously in so many areas, including finances, and we don't want to ever be in a position where we take that for granted. We don't want to ever be in a position where we begin to think that it's our frugality, where it's our, our wise spending, where it's our wise savings, where it's our generosity that we put our hope in. Our hope is in you. So I, I wanted you to be aware of that. If during the month that if someone wants to make an additional check above your tithe and offering uh, to the, the earthquake fund, just write a check. Uh, you'd write it to VCDC, put earthquake on it, and that money is going to go over to, uh, to Nepal and to our brothers and sisters and, and those that they are reaching out to. Amen? All righty. So let's go ahead and jump into our, our new series that Michael started off last week. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we ask that you would come and be with us today. Lord, help us to glean from this passage all those things that you want to apply to our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, last week, Michael... Uh, he introduced a new series. We're going to do a series over the next number of months on the patriarchs, on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their families, they represent the first three generations of God's separating a people to himself, of God's taking hold of the lives of individuals like you and I and saying, I am going to work in a very special, specific way through your lives. The patriarchs, and their families, their generations, provide for us a blueprint of what it looks like at best and at the worst, what it looks like as God's people walk with, with God. It gives us a blueprint, a picture of how God wants to relate 
to his people. So it's not just that we're reading stories about individuals who lived some thousands of years ago, but we're reading stories that will give us great insight and great understanding of how we're to see God, how God sees us. Now you remember last week, Michael introduced the first of the, the patriarchs. He introduced Abraham, or as he was called initially, Abram. And I just want to take a moment to, re, to review. Abram was a, a man. He lived with his family in the city of Ur, U-R. And there he, he lived. He was minding his own business. This was a pagan culture, a monotheistic culture where there were many, many gods. Abraham certainly showed, and there's nothing to let us know that there was anything particularly special or spiritual about him. But at, but at a certain point, what we read is that God came and, and revealed himself in a powerful way to Abram. That, that Abram had a, a powerful encounter with God. That Abram was, was minding his own business, tending to his flocks, doing just the normal businesses, business of his day. And, and we don't know exactly how the encounter took place, but God came to him, God spoke to him, and God separated him for his particular purposes. God said to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to give you an, an inheritance and give you land. And Abram, you know, having this encounter with God, surprisingly, at least surprisingly to me, shows enormous faith in that he just left what he had and said to God, I will be your people. You will be my God. Because God said to Abraham that he was to go and leave his country, leave Ur, leave his people, leave his family, his, you know, the, the extended family, to a land that I will show you. God didn't even tell Abram where he was going to end up. You remember last week, Michael pointed out how Abraham, by faith, stepped out not knowing the end, not knowing the destination, not knowing how he was going to get there, what the land was like, how he was going to find supplies along the way. But God said, I want you to go and follow me to a place where I will lead you. And Abraham essentially said, here I am. Here's my family. As far as us, as far as we go, we are going to follow you. We are going to be your people. So by faith, which, which essentially is just dependency on God, leaning on God, by faith, Abraham left all that he had and walked into the fog walked into the darkness, not knowing where he was going to go, but committing to and knowing who he was going to walk with in order to get to that promised place, that promised land, and all the promises that surrounded it. That, my friend, is faith. I mean, that's what faith looks like. And, and God is continually inviting each one of us individually, in our families, in this church family. He's inviting us to step out in similar fashions so that we don't just rationalize and reason and figure out, and is this, is this a reasonable request of God's? Does this look like I can see that it's going to come out well and turn out correctly? But rather saying, God, I trust you even though I can't see sometimes where the next step is. That's the life that God is calling his people to walk in. That's the invitation before you. When we got saved, it wasn't an invitation to join a church. It, uh, it was that and more. It wasn't just an invitation to, to attend weekend services. It wasn't just an invitation to, to, to be uh, part of some organization. When we came to Christ, it was response, and if you didn't realize this, let me be the first to tell you, it was a response to an invitation to walk with God, to put our trust and our reliance on God for everything, for finances, for, for peace, for hope, for 
for, for stability in our lives in, in the future, and for healing from our lives in the past. It was an invitation to walk with him, to rely on him, to, to lean on him, to depend on him. And this is exactly what Abraham did. Now, that's what we talked about last week. But, oh, what a difference one week makes. Because this week, we're going to look at another story in the life of Abraham. And we see Abraham swing from showing enormous faith in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12 to this week where we'll look at a story that takes place sometime after where he shows little or no faith, little or no confidence in God's provision. We see Abraham from last week to this week the father of our faith, the prototype of our faith, go from being a shining example of faith to, to one who shows little or no faith. From the heights of faith to the depths of faithlessness. So let me go ahead and read the passage today and you'll see what I mean. We're in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to begin today in verse 10. And this is what it says. Now, there was a famine in the land, okay? By this time, Abraham had gotten to that land, or at least so he thought, to that land where God had called him to follow him into, the, the land of promise. And he, there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. You know, he was just using his normal rational cognitive senses to say, you know, the food supply is growing short. What we'll do is we'll leave while we're still able to and we'll go into the, the adjoining country, into Egypt, and we'll just, you know, survive over there during the famine. And as we, he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Mind you, she was 65 years old. And she probably was a very beautiful woman. And this wasn't a bad way to start a conversation, especially the conversation he was about to have with her. Verse 12. When the Egyptians see you, this is Abraham speaking to Sarai, Sarai or later to be called Sarah. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they'll kill me, but we'll let you live. So Abraham says this to his wife. Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So he's thinking, you know, we're going to go into this land. And it wasn't uncustomary for a, a, a woman to, who would come into a land and one of the tribesmen or one of the leaders or, or anyone in that land would say, you know, that's a beautiful woman. I'm going to take her to be my wife. If, if they knew that Abraham was the husband, he said, they might kill me. So, Sarah, can you do me a favor? Just say you're my wife, and then I can give away, give you to the person, and, and I'll, I'll survive. They won't hurt me. I, I, I don't know how this would go over in your home. In my home, it wouldn't go over real well if I, if I said this to Penny. You know, I don't know how many of you remember, there was a, there was a comedian years ago, back in the, actually the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, named Henny Youngman. Anyone remember Henny Youngman? He, he, he was a, a big on one-liners. His most famous one-liner one was, take my wife, please. And, and essentially, that's what Abraham was thinking. You know, he, he didn't acknowledge that she was his wife, but it's sort of like, yeah, you can have her. Yeah, j just leave me alone. Take my wife. But please... Don't, don't harm me. So when Abram, verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was, beautiful, was a beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord, the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and on his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Now, if I was Abram, I would be wondering, oh, Lord, you know, are you going to inflict serious judgment on me, too, for what I've done? 
But the, the point here is that, that we see God's faithfulness. God made a promise to, to Abram and to Sarah. And he said, I'm going to make great, a great nation out of you. And Abram, what are you doing? You've given your wife away. You, you have come in between my purposes. And more importantly, Abram, don't you understand? Here I am, the one that provided for you, the one that supernaturally came to you, the one that led you into this, into this land and made these promises that I'm going to fulfill, and in spite of that encounter with me, that supernatural encounter, in spite of, of understanding who I am, Abram, you've taken things into your own hands. And you've assumed that I won't be faithful to care for you and supply you what you need at the right time. So in verse 18... Pharaoh comes back to Abram, so Pharaoh summoned Abram, and he said, What have you done to me? He said, Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And the Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram here has gone from great faith to no faith in God's ability to provide. And, you know, we need to understand, and I want us to be able to explain how there can be this kind of reversal in a person's life. I am sure each one of you have known people who at one point, at one time, one, in one day, they can go from showing great faith and you see this, this trust in God and this reflection of God's goodness. And then later on, in that same day perhaps, in this other person, maybe in yourself, you see just a whole different attitude, a whole different nature. You see a, a person who can switch from having great trust in God and reflect God wonderfully to a person who, who shows little or no trust in God. A person who, who can show the, the, the most base side of the, of the human attitude. How do we explain this kind of reversal in others? How do we understand it in ourselves? We need to understand the heart of man from a biblical perspective. And I want to take a few minutes today to make sure that, that the theology of, of man is correct. And, and let me explain it this way. In every one of us, in every human being, there is a civil war taking place. This is clearly taught about in Scripture. You know, there's a civil war, there's a tug of war in each one of us. Uh, we can explain it as a war between spirit and flesh. Uh, Paul uses the phrase, the old man and, and the new nature, the, 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 the tug of war between that fallen, broken self and that which still reflects the the image of God, but in all of us, in every one of you, you need to understand if you're going to, to, to recognize how, how we maneuver life and how we walk with God, we need to recognize this, this tension, this civil war, this, this tug of war. And I'm, I'm quite sure that all of you see it. You recognize, you're aware of that battle, are, are, are you not? You know, we read in Romans chapter 7 where, where Paul is, is sort of talking about it very candidly. He, he's saying to the Roman church uh, to which he's writing, he says, you know, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And sometimes the very things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. Paul is explaining, he's, he's wanting the Roman church to understand this civil war inside, this, this battle between spirit and flesh. And Abraham, certainly in this passage, is an example of that. Abraham gives us a, a picture of the, the battle within. One week he was entirely trusting God, willing to step into the darkness and follow God to a 
to a land he, he didn't know. To follow God not even knowing the destination. And then this next moment we read about this week. He's, he's saying, no, I'm going to pass my wife off as my sister. Let another man take her as his wife and just walk away just to save my life. What we see is this tug of war. And I'm sure that was, the, that was what was going on in Abram's mind. And how can I take control of this situation? What can I do to stay in my safe place? And there is this battle between the spirit and the flesh. Sort of like the old cartoons we used to watch where there was a, you know, an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. It's not exactly like that, but it's very similar to that. That we, we hear this battle going on in our hearts and in our minds. Calling us to take control ourselves, Or to choose to trust God even in the fog. Now I want to talk a little bit about the spirit and about the flesh. Concerning the spirit. There, there's some confusion on this because the scriptures use this term liberally. And sometimes it's a spirit capital S. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, sometimes when it's speaking of the Spirit, it's talking about the Spirit, small s, speaking of the human spirit. You see, what, has, what happens, for those who have made a decision to follow Christ, the scriptures say that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S Spirit, comes and takes up residence within us. We are indwelt by God's Spirit. And the Spirit of God comes within us and begins this process of renewing, of transforming our human spirit. The, the, this human spirit that we carry, the spirit of man, before the fall was a, a, a reflection of God. But because of the fall in the garden, our human spirit has become broken and it's fallen it's damaged so when we come to Christ God begins a lifelong work transforming us changing us and restoring us to what his purposes were restoring us so the spirit of man would walk faithfully consistently would stay in step with the purposes of God. So God's spirit comes and fills our spirit. God's spirit comes and begins to change us. In Romans chapter 8 verse 16 it says, The spirit, capital S, the spirit himself, the Holy Spirit himself, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. God comes to his people, fills us with the Holy Spirit, and begins to speak, begins to write on our hearts and on our minds who we are and who he is, and begins to change us, begins to renew and restore us. So that's the spirit that is, is, is within us, that God is renewing. But there's also the flesh within us. There's that fallen part of us, that fallen nature, that part of us that is so willing and ready to to just throw in the towel so that's so willing and ready to, to take our ideas and our plans and our reasoning over God's will and God's purposes and God's truth. It was the, the fallen nature of Abram, the flesh of Abraham that figured, I, I know what God promised me, giving me land and giving me descendants and blessing me, he doesn't understand and I'm going to choose my idea over God's purposes it was Abram's flesh that won that battle over that spirit that was being renewed perhaps the best picture and you some of you have, if you've been here for for a while have heard me share this story before this illustration before uh, I'm going to share it again because I'm up here and you're not but it's a it's a it's a great Picture. It's, it's one that, will, that has helped me enormously understand day by day how I walk with God. The, picture a, a ship out at sea. And the, the captain on this ship is just absolutely cruel. 
just walks around barking out orders, hitting the, the, the sailors. He's just a cruel, horrible captain. And eventually the first mate, the second in command, calls to shore, talks to the admiral and says, Admiral, the, the sailors, the, the, the men on the boat, they're about to mutiny. The, the, here's what the captain is doing, the captain of our ship is doing, and you've you got to do something about it. So the admiral, what he does is he removes the commission of the captain. He says, okay, no longer is the captain going to be the head of the ship, is going to be captain. And he makes the first mate the captain. But the problem is the old captain's still on the ship, isn't he? They can't just toss him overboard. He's on the ship until they get to shore and, and drop him off. And he can still walk around that ship barking out orders. He could still yell at the men. He could still you know, tell them to do this and do that and, and treat them as cruelly as ever. But the difference is no longer does he have any authority in their lives. No longer does he have any real power. And it's only perhaps out of habit or fear that they would re that any of the sailors need to respond to him because they have a new captain now. But many times they still could fall into the pattern and say, yes, sir, and do whatever the old captain says in spite of the fact that he has no authority and no power. And this is exactly as it is with us. When we fell, the fallen nature walks around, our flesh walks around constantly telling us to take the path of least resistance, telling us that our ideas are better than God's ideas, running away from things that are, are, put, us, put us in vulnerable situations. We have an old captain that is, is determined to, to be in control so that Christ is not. But when Christ came and when Christ died on the cross, the power and the authority of our flesh, of our fallen nature, of the old man, has been taken away. There is a new captain on board, if you will, and that is God through his spirit. But the problem is this. In this life, until Christ returns or we go to heaven, that flesh is still on board. And that the voice of our flesh still is constantly saying, Oh, you don't want to do that. That's not going to turn out well. You know, Abram, they're going to go ahead and kill you to, to get, this, get your wife. Just say, say she's your sister. You know, don't talk to that person. They may get mad at you if you speak truth to them. You know, don't forgive this person because what they did is worse than what you did. Make them for, ask your forgiveness first. We have all these voices. And so easily we can just say yes to the flesh out of habit and say no to the Spirit. This is, this is that, that civil war that goes on inside of us. And I want you to understand this, that the flesh never gets any better. It's not as though the longer you live, the better your flesh gets. Your flesh is going to be just as evil, faithless, and corrupt the day you die as it was on the, the worst, most unholy day of your life. Our flesh never, ever gets any better. And our flesh doesn't go away until Christ returns or we go to heaven. Here's what changes, is we learn to say no to our flesh and come to realize, my gosh, it really doesn't have any power. And as we say no to our flesh, see the power of God, the Spirit of God, give us the, the inner ability to truly walk away from what the flesh is saying. Had Abram said, listen, flesh, because spiritual people need to learn how to talk to themselves. Not in the way that they're going to lock you up, but in a way to, to know what's going on. You know, that we can, Abram could have said to his flesh, no, God spoke to me. I encountered God. He is supernatural. He's powerful. He's a provider. And I am going to trust him to provide for our food, much less provide for my safety in Egypt. 
But instead of saying no to his flesh, he said, sounds reasonable to me. And he said yes to his flesh and, and followed his flesh. But we continually, God is at work in us so that we can become familiar with this, this tug of war and we can become more proficient at saying no to the flesh and yes to God. It's sort of learning what hopefully we learn and how to deal with telephone salespeople. Do you all get phone calls from time to time you know, from a, a salesperson? They're trying to, and, and if you're smart, you've learned that you don't engage in conversation. You know, you don't begin to talk about why you don't want to, you know, buy that land in Florida, you know, or you don't want to whatever they're trying to sell. You just say, you know, uh, thank you, I'm not interested, goodbye. You hang up. Because once you engage in conversation, you're going down a, 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 a trail that you're, you may not recover from. Because that's what they want. They want to engage you in conversation because what they want, their goal their, their, uh, is to get you to shift your focus to what they want you to be looking at. You know, I got a, a, uh, a phone call the other day. From, it was from DirecTV. And their opening line was, Mr. Meyer, do you like watching movies? Now, they knew I wasn't going to say, no, I hate it. Just hate movies, you know. But I wasn't going to go there because I knew they wanted me to say yes. And they would tell me then, we can give you 400 movies every hour on the hour that you could choose from. You know, so I said, thank you very much. I'm not interested. Goodbye. And I hung up rather than engaging the conversation because the flesh and any good salesman like the flesh wants to engage us so that we would shift our focus to the, what they want us to look at rather than looking at what God is saying what God and who he is. Abram, if you go into this country, you'll have food. If you tell them your wife is your sister, you're not going to be harmed. And Abraham began to think, oh yeah, you're, you're right. He begins to look back over at, at God, what God's promises, and he said, oh, no, look here, look here. You know, do you realize how beautiful your wife is? Oh, yeah, she is beautiful. And they allowed his focus to be shifted from God and his truth and his character and his kingdom to whatever it is that they or our flesh is trying to sell us. And that's exactly what our flesh does. Our flesh plays constantly plays the what-if card. You know, Abram, what if this happens? What if that happens? How many conversations do you have in your mind that begin with the phrase, what if? You know, what if that noise in my car gets worse? How am I going to afford to fix it? What, what if I go ahead and ask this person for forgiveness for my attitude and they don't ask forgiveness for their attitude, which was worse than mine. What if? What if? What if? Folks, that phrase, what if, is an illegal thought for any follower of God. What if is an illegal thought and, and Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough worries of its own. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're gonna, you know, how you're going to clothe yourself, because your Father sees. Your Father will provide. Keep your focus on, on who I am and my character. And don't begin to look at the what-ifs. God walks with us in each moment. He says, tomorrow will have enough, has enough concerns of its own. Walk with me today, and I'll supply those needs today, in the moment. I'll give you peace, even when you're going without, and let tomorrow care for itself. We need to, to redirect our focus to Christ, 
whereas our flesh is constantly saying, what if this, what if that, and we are led further away from the truth and the character of God. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, seek first, make primary the kingdom of God and God's righteousness of who he is, his character, and allow me to supply these things that are necessary at the perfect time. And even when those things may not be supplied in the timing you want, I can give you my peace, which will guard your heart. You know, when we were considering giving the money to, to uh, Nepal for the earthquake fund, you know, my flesh was saying, wait one second. You know, wh- wh- what if you need that money? Didn't you see that there's a trend here that you need to pay attention to? What wh- 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 if it doesn't work out? What if you give $30,000 and that becomes more than one-fifth? Are you going to write them and ask them for money back? You know, what if, what if, what if? And I, I had to, with fear and trembling, take those what-ifs in hand and say, you know, I, I know who my God is. And if that happens, so be it. God's in control, and he'll supply our needs accordingly. You know, it's not easy. But that's what God is teaching us to do. That's what the walk of faith looks like. Whether we're talking about a church, whether we're talking about individuals, it, it's what Penny and I deal with every time we write a tithe check. You know, but what if we need this? Shouldn't we wait to the end of the month? What if? And God says, are you going to put yourself in a position to trust me? Abram, are you going to put yourself in a position to trust me and follow me to a, a land that you haven't yet arrived? Or are you going to think you're going to outsmart me and reason it out? And God is continually saying, come, watch, and put yourself in the place of my provision. And indeed, we can get good at saying no. So we, we've looked at the heart of man. We, we see this, this tug of war. I want to take just a short moment to look at the heart of God. Okay, we, we see how there's a battle inside of us. Let's look a bit at the heart of God. The first thing we need to understand about God's heart towards us is that he says he doesn't take into account our failings. I mean, in in Psalm 103, listen to what he says. He says he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. He didn't say, Abram, you blew it and that's it. I'm I'm finding another fellow. I'm going to get another patriarch to start this whole race of people. He said, no, I made a promise, and your faithlessness doesn't remove my faithfulness to you. God doesn't see you. He doesn't see me according to my iniquities. You know, when the enemy goes before God and says, do you see what Danny just did? Do you see that attitude, God? God looks down and he says, you know, all, all I see is the blood of my son Jesus that covers that sin. No, I, I don't see him according to his sin. What, what's amazing, if you read in, in Hebrews chapter 11, where, where the writer of Hebrews, uh, under the, the direction of the Holy Spirit, is, is writing about Abraham and others as examples of faith, he mentions nothing about Abraham's failures. He speaks of Abraham as a consistent, glowing example of faith because God doesn't see us according to our own sins and our failures, our iniquities. He doesn't see us and treat us as we deserve. It's not within his heart. It's not within his character. 
He sees us according to our grace, and we can't, according to his grace, and we can't out-sin God's grace. Do you know that? You cannot out-sin God's grace. If God dies, died for us while we were still sinners, he certainly isn't going to run out of grace now that we, we stumble along trying to follow him. And someone once said to me, Danny, if you teach your people that they can't out God's grace, they're going to just sin more. And I thought, oh, absolutely not. I mean, the more I understand how God loves me, the more I want to please him, the more I want to walk with him. Show me a person who uses that logic that it's okay, I can do whatever I want because God forgives me. And I'll show you a person who's never really come to understand or never had really truly revealed to their heart the enormous love that he has. Because love evokes a desire to, to obey, to be faithful, to please. It doesn't cause us to want to take advantage of it. So God's heart's not only forever towards us, but he consistently, consistently gives us power to transform us, to set us free, to allow us to walk with him. Now, here's what I want to do as we end. Why don't you stand up? Undoubtedly, in a, in a talk like this, we, you know, especially as we're talking about the civil war inside of us, I don't think anyone is able to, to listen to that thought, that concept of this, this tug of war inside of us and not be aware of areas in your life where you're engaged in that, in that, uh, in that battle. And I, I'm certain there are people here today who see, whether it's in a relationship where you're torn between, do I do this or not do it? Do I stick with what's comfortable? Or do I step out into into a place of vulnerability or finances, issues of, of uh, just uh, following God and the next steps he's calling, calling you to take, becoming part of a small group. You know, oh, if you do that, you're, it's going to cause problems because what if, what if you need to go to a small group but you also just want to stay home? All of us have tug of wars. Raise your hand if, if, if God brought to mind some tug-of-wars that you're dealing with right now in various areas. Yeah. That's, that's just normal. That's just common. And what I believe God wants to do today is reveal his presence to us and invite us to shift our focus from the rational, from uh, rationalizing why our ideas are better than God, shift our focus from all the what-ifs to who he is and give us his grace to see his goodness and his provision. So those of you who raised your hand, those of you who didn't raise your hand but should have, I'm going to invite you just to come to the front and we're going to ask that God does a, uh, a release of, of, and a revelation of who he is so that we can get our eyes off the circumstances and our eyes onto him. And I believe God will do that. And beyond just psychologically finding peace through that, I believe as we shift our eyes to him, you'll see a, a power, supernatural power, to follow him in his purposes. So why don't you begin to come forward right now. Let's make sure everyone that comes to the front has someone praying for them. Michael, maybe you could just... Uh, play a little bit of worship. We have a number of people coming to the front, and that means everyone who's not coming to the front needs to come to the front to pray for someone who has come to the front. Okay, so this is your, your church. If you're a believer, I want you to just come, place your hand on their shoulder, and just simply say, Holy Spirit, come. Come and reveal, reveal Jesus to them. We need a number of men and a number of women. Don't make me come out and get you. You know I will. Come on up. We have a lot of folks without anyone praying for them. Just come, stand, put your hand on their shoulder, and say, Holy Spirit, come and reveal Jesus to them.
Still need some more men and women. Father, we invite you to come right now in Jesus' name. Come and take our focus. Shift our eyes. Shift our eyes so that we can see you and see the power of your resurrection. See the grace that you offer. See the love that you extend. Come, Holy, Holy Spirit. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would, with each individual that's come forward, with each of us in this room, as we deal with those, those, that civil war within, Father, speak to us where you want us to step out. Show us that first step you want us to take and provide your grace, provide power, albeit with fear and trembling for us to take that first, that first step towards you. Lord, we turn ourselves away from the what-ifs. We say no to the words of our flesh. Today, Jesus, we say yes to you. We step out into the impossible that you would show us that with God all things are possible. Father, I pray for each individual. I pray for each family. I pray for this church family that this would be a season where we can see your faithfulness, where we can see your goodness, where we can see your provision for us to walk with you. Come, Holy Spirit, release us. Help us to grow as men and women of faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, if you're getting prayer, feel free to continue. Otherwise, let me just say this before you all run off. Be aware. Be looking for those, those, those battles within. I'm going to ask God regularly to just tap me on the shoulder when I'm facing those moments so that I can be aware, so that I can keep my focus on him, so I can say no to the flesh and walk after him. So I believe God is going to just be tapping you on your shoulder, so to speak, let you know when those opportunities are there. Don't forget, register for...